This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. For decades, immigrants uh, have been part of the backbone of the farming industry. They have done the work that many Americans have passed on. But with the push on immigration in the current White House, the farming sector sees itself as possibly losing a great deal of its workforce due to the role that immigration and customs enforcement is playing. ICE raids are becoming more commonplace across the U.S. So what impact is the change in immigration having on the farming industry? Philip Martin is Professor Emeritus at the University of California at Davis in the Department of Agricultural and Resource Economics. He's also chair of the University of California's Comparative Immigration and Integration Program. Beth Lyon is a law professor at Cornell University, as well as assistant director of the Clinical Advocacy and Skills Program. And they join me right now. Philip, Beth, great to have you both with us today. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Good morning, Dan. Thank you. Good morning. So uh, how significant, Philip, do you think is is this problem right now. Uh, Obviously, we're talking about a a lot of of immigrants who are doing vital work for the farming sector right now, and seemingly their ability to do that work is being challenged at this point. Well, we have to step back and remember that farmers and their families do an awful lot of work on U.S. farms, and farmers and their families are 98% U.S. citizens. So we're not talking about most of the people who work on farms in the Midwest and in the South, what we're really talking about are hired farm workers, primarily those employed in seasonal crop jobs, like picking fruits and vegetables, but increasingly also those employed in dairies and on feedlots and nurseries and other things. The best guess is that About 70% of the crop workers born in the United States are immigrants, that is, uh, working in the United States. That is, they are born outside the U.S., almost all in Mexico. Right. And of those 70% foreign-born, about 70% are not authorized to work in the U.S. So that makes half of the crop workforce unauthorized. Uh, so and, and that would then, if we think of both farmers, their families and all hired workers, that would make you know half of the crop workers, but say a quarter of all people employed in agriculture, including farmers and their families, um, in an unauthorized status. So it's it's important, but most U.S. agriculture is going to continue regardless of immigration policy and I think the most important thing to remember is that we're talking on the order of a million unauthorized workers. And the main effect so far is increased fear, fear among farmers that they won't have workers, and especially fear in farm worker communities, because when the ICE goes into a community to arrest or to target uh, one or two criminals that they're seeking, they pick up other people that they encounter who are unauthorized. And so that, that fear is very palpable in 
uh, rural farm worker communities. Well, and that was going to be my next question, Philip. How how frequently are we seeing these types of instances right now of ICE uh, officials going looking for somebody that uh, is an illegal immigrant and has committed a crime, yet they find these other people as well? How frequent is it? Well, it's frequent and it makes the news every time, but we have to keep numbers in perspective. If we have a million unauthorized workers, farm workers, California is one third. That yeah. would be 333,000. And ICE has picked up about 30 farm workers in the, uh, so far um, in 2018. That is, mostly ICE doesn't tell us that. That's what NGO and union reports say. And um, so that's important for spreading fear, because in several cases, the vans carrying workers to work were stopped and the unauthorized workers in those vans were taken away. So it wasn't as if that was looking for a criminal, or maybe it was in some cases, but the fear is palpable. But the numbers involved so far are relatively small. These are not workplace raids where you go to a farm that has 500 people in the field, surround the fields, and then check everybody. These are people picked up, and I says they're picked up as a you know collateral damage from searching for criminal foreigners and the numbers so far identified that that are farm workers are relatively small beth as this is starting to play out and and obviously i mentioned uh, the uh the the want by the this government and this white house to to re to really look at immigration and how it's moving forward how significant is it a concern of yours in terms of the farming sector and and uh some of the people that are involved in this industry well um one of the problems i think um with the new administration is um what some people call the loose cannon policy um and you may remember that one of the first things that the administration did um after trump became president was to issue a series of executive orders and one of those executive orders changed the way discretion the way that the discretion is handled in immigration in this country so basically what it did was sort of push discretion down to the unit level, um, which m- made the situation that ICE and Customs and Border Protection really have a lot more discretion at the ground level. And you get very different numbers. So, for example, here in upstate New York, our numbers look different from California. We've had a couple of, of raids, workplace raids um, of the sort that, that Professor Martin's describing. Um, and we've also had... Um, a number of of what are called I-9 raids on farms um, in situations where maybe one worker, um, and not necessarily with a criminal record, has mm-hmm. been targeted for whatever reason. Um, and so because you're not really sure what the priorities are at any given moment, there is a lot of uncertainty, there is a lot of fear, and there are a lot of situations where um, farmers are really frightened that they're going to lose their entire workforce in a day. So, for example, last year um, a farmer called me up in tears um, because a long-term employee, um, been on their farm for decades, um, was running the farm because both of the owners actually had jobs somewhere else off the farm, um, had a U.S. citizen wife, U.S. citizen kids, no criminal record, was picked up and was almost instantly deported. And so there's a family that's devastated, and there's a farm that's lost somebody and essentially was running the entire outfit. Um, This happened in upstate 
Um, also, we see this clean-out policy, the idea where ICE will come. Um, they're looking maybe for one person who may or may not have a criminal record, um, and they'll then enter farm labor housing and check everyone's papers and take everyone. And here in upstate, um, there was a recent study that showed that 93% of dairy workers are undocumented. And these are pretty big farms where there might be a few family members and a huge number of workers who are really, you know, taking care of the milking. It's a very time-intensive process. Because of the various levels of fear by different people in here, Beth, you you are working with uh, some of the people that are involved in these cases. But what is the potential penalty on the farm owner for potentially having these people working here and if ICE comes in and if, if ICE were to take them uh, off their site? Um, well, a potential civil penalty, penalty is a fine of up to $10,000 per uh, violation. We very rarely see that in, uh, put into effect. Um, another, and criminal penalties are sometimes possible if it turns out that uh, usually if an outfit has you know, committed the same act over and over knowingly and there's a sense that they really are uh, sort of repeat players. Um, but what the farmers around here, are, they're not worried about the fines. Um, they don't anticipate criminal penalties. They are worried about how are they going to get through the next cycle of milking. They're worried about losing workers. And right. they're worried about losing people that they've worked side by side with, sometimes for decades, um, and that they value as part of their community. And, and I would guess that there, I'm not sure what exactly the numbers would be, but there's a direct correlation between, say, one person who does so much on a particular farm and the the profit margin that that farmer will get, let's say, from uh, a farm that, that does milking, you could be talking about that one person in a roundabout way being responsible for hundreds of thousands of dollars to that one farm. Yeah, that's exactly right. 844-942-7866 is the number if you would like to join in with your comments or questions. We're talking with Philip Martin of the University of California, Davis, Beth Lyon at Cornell University, 844-942-7866. Philip, from your perspective, being out there in California, part of the discussion out there is obviously the, the, the back and forth between what the federal government wants and what the state government wants out there. And, and uh, Governor Brown and some of the other mayors out there uh, – the stance that they have taken in terms of providing levels of protection for a lot of these workers. Yes, California has state laws that went into effect this year, which restrict the cooperation of employers with ICE agents. And um, some farmers and other employers argue they're caught in the middle because they are supposed to respond and do respond to federal enforcement, uh, but at the same time, they're not supposed to allow the federal enforcement uh, agents onto their farms without warrants. It's it's the kind of thing where so far, um, Beth mentioned the I-9 audits, so far the I-9 audits have not been on farms. They've been on farm-related businesses, mm-hmm. such as packing houses, so they would really be classified as non-farm businesses. The the overall effect is that we're hearing, I think, we're hearing an awful lot about enforcement, partially because the administration trumpets it, partly because, as was as Beth said, the the, the discretion, I, the agents have much more discretion on the ground, and partly because it's become a political football going back and forth between federal and state governments. But from a practical point of view, 
remember, the biggest thing affecting California farm employers and farm workers is the rising minimum wage. Right. Uh, we're now at $11 an hour. We're going to $15 an hour. 29 states have a, a minimum wage higher than the federal 7.25 an hour. And the idea or the prospect that minimum wages are going to go up and that there will not be a resumption of large-scale unauthorized migration from Mexico or somewhere else means that there's a different mindset now. The current workforce in agriculture is largely unauthorized, half unauthorized, but it's aging. Uh, the average age is approaching 40, and the average age of all U.S. workers is 42. So those workers that are now in agriculture are, are approaching the age at which many people get out of agriculture, especially those seasonal crop jobs like picking peaches from ladders, simply because of the physical demands of the job. And, and so a lot of farm employers and industries in general are saying, well, it may not have made sense to get robots to milk the cows right. or to have machines pick the peaches when the minimum wage was seven twenty-five an hour and there were lots of new people coming in. In the year 2000, one out of four crop workers in the U.S. was an unauthorized person who had been in the U.S. less than one year. Today, that's 1%. So it's a huge change in the last two decades as unauthorized migration from Mexico has slowed down. So we're sort of at a crossroads here where some farmers say we're going to have to mechanize. Some commodities will likely be imported. Most of the blackberries in the U.S. are imported from Mexico. Most of the raspberries are imported from Mexico. Most of the fresh tomatoes you buy are imported from Mexico. So some people say imports will rise. Some people say there'll be more mechanization. And then, of course, the other, the third element is there's been a huge increase in the use of the H-2A guest worker program. Nationally, about 10% of all year-round equivalent jobs in agriculture are now filled by legal Mexican workers with H-2A visas. So those three adjustments of mechanization, imports, and guest workers are so far have been the response to not just Trump, but it's Trump plus a slowdown in unauthorized migration, rising minimum wages, changing uh, competitiveness patterns. So there's a whole lot of things going on. And the Trump uh, effect on enforcement accelerates the um, decision-making in those areas. Do you choose the guest worker option, the mechanization option? Do you change crops? And we simply import particular commodities. Yeah, the, the technology side of it, Philip, was was one area I wanted to touch on. And seemingly, you, you to a degree, answered my question in that seemingly farmers, especially in the dairy industry, probably were leaning towards mechanization to begin with. Uh, in their farms. And because of all of these issues, maybe that has just sped up the process, especially in that sector? Well, it's there's machines available to harvest just about every commodity that's grown in the U.S. The difficulty is people, of course, are much better than those machines. Okay. So it's not as if there's a machine on the shelf and you bring it out of the barn and put it in the field. It's a process of adapting, taking a machine, taking a prototype, 
and then experimenting with it until it becomes good enough or, or uh, uh, cheap enough to use in the field. So those robotic milking machines, for example, that will milk cows. And they're widely used in a country like the Netherlands, which has much higher wages than we do here in the United States. New Zealand is a major dairy producer, and they're much more mechanized than we are in uh, dairy and stuff. So the, the story has been that people are always better than machines when it comes to handling soft tree fruits like peaches or strawberries. Right. But there are machines available to harvest each of those commodities. It's simply the fact that if a person harvests strawberries, perhaps 90% of them wind up being saleable. If a machine harvests the strawberries, maybe only 60% are saleable. So at a certain point, when wages get high enough and machines get cheap enough, people, the growers will switch from people to machines. We're not quite there yet. Nobody knows exactly what the tipping point is. Some people say it'll be $15 an hour. Right. Other people think it's higher, others lower. But that's clearly the direction in which we're going. Well, Beth, Philip mentions a lot of these issues in regards to the state of California. What about where you are there in the state of New York? Um, well, I think I think he a lot of the points that he makes are are certainly applicable to New York State, um, and I think I just want to raise an, one additional issue that hasn't come up yet, and that is the issue of child and youth labor. Yes, um, you know we can see an aging workforce, but at the same time, the United States is very um, has a tough time actually even estimating the number of children and youth that are working on American farms is right. not a number that the U.S. government even attempts to keep. Um, and we and there are estimates that 60 to 70 percent of all child labor in the U.S. takes place on farms. Um, and so that brings me to another um, sort of less discussed Trump immigration policy to bring it back to immigration policy. Um, and that is something called special immigrant juvenile status. We hear a lot about DACA and what's going on with DACA, but that's a program that really hasn't had quite as much of an impact on farms. Mm -hmm. Um, however, there is a very little-known program that allows state family courts to give the special immigrant juvenile protection to children and youth who have been found to be abandoned, abused, or neglected. And that, at least here in upstate, does have quite an impact on farms. There are a lot of young people anywhere between, say, 13 and 21 who are coming up from Central America. They're still coming in pretty big numbers, and a lot of them are ending up on farms. And some of them are working, some of them are going to school and working. Um, and through this visa program, it really encourages everyone on the farm to kind of make sure the kids are in school, even if they're working, um, and that they have these clearly identified guardians in the community, and it puts them on a path through the protection of the state court to a permanent status. Now, the Trump administration has just started um, uh, putting in place a new policy that's going to cut back on the age limit for these protections, even though the statute in no way calls for that right. kind of cutback. So it really is distressing for the farms. My clinic now is doing a lot of these cases, working closely with farmers, um, and and everybody's really concerned about what this means well, what, why the Trump administration is going after kids who are playing important roles on farms. What kind of numbers are we talking about in terms of uh, of these kids that could be qualifying for for these protections, Beth? You know, unfortunately, it's really hard to know. Um, the department, the departments that track the children who are coming um, across the border from Honduras, from Salvador, from Guatemala, who are most of the kids in this situation. 
um, doesn't actually track um, which counties they're going to in terms of the rural counties. So we really can't know how many are on farms. I know that uh, since I moved this area and started my clinic two years ago, I've had dozens of cases and I'm turning them away every week. Um, so there are there are a lot of young people that are affected by this change in policy. And, and Philip, about a minute left. But again, the part of this in, in regards to the potential loss of, of workforce also plays into the fact that that the, the narrative has been put out there about uh, this taking away jobs from Americans, where in many cases, these are jobs that we've seen traditionally that Americans don't want to take. No, Ameri- it's very no American family or no American teenager dreams of growing up to be a seasonal farm worker. It's a job. It's not a career. It's right. a job you do when you can't get something better. But the, you know, the, the story of U.S. agriculture and the story going forward is as wages go up, we produce more food, but we do it with machines, not with people. Right. And that's inevitable, and that will come sooner or later. The big fear, of course, now in agriculture is not the, I mean, immigration is always there as a fear, but it's really the trade war because the United States exports, California exports 40% of what it produces. The United States agriculture exports about a quarter of what it produces. And if we get on a trade war with China and other countries, the first things they do are start slapping tariffs on almonds and wine and other U.S. commodities. And that, in the short term at least, is what the big fear of Uh, the agricultural industry is. Great having you both with us today. Thank you for your insight. Philip, all the best. Beth, thank you as well. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.